Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I am normally your co-host. My name is Ryan Cabrera, and I am in Studio B, the very beautiful, wonderful Studio B, but there's something a little different today. As you can tell, I am flying solo. Now, we'll find out by the end of this podcast today if that is a fortunate or unfortunate event, but uh, it is fortunate because Pastor Nick is on vacation with his whole family, all 10 of them, all eight children, and him and his wife are together, and they are uh, taking some time off, and they went on a road trip, and I couldn't be happier for them, and I'm thankful, but uh, here I am all alone. So y'all pray for me uh, because I am here trying to do this solo, and uh, you know, it's just easier to have somebody that you can kind of bounce things off of, and like when he's talking, sometimes I'm gathering my thoughts, listening to what he's saying, and then sometimes what he says will like cue something in my brain and make me think. So um, I think we'll be on a, a fun journey today uh, studying the Torah portion of Korach. It's funny that he's gone and I get to study about uh, you know people rebelling against leadership. And so uh, the sheepdogs are out at Beit Tehillah making sure that everything stays uh, all good and everything. But you know we have such an awesome congregation. There's really not usually much to do, if you can imagine that. So a couple of announcements this week that we have going on. Uh, first is we have a men's kayaking trip going on. Uh, the kayaking trip is coming up on the 26th of June. It's a men's slash father-son uh, kayaking outing. It's going to be over, I think, somewhere in uh, some preserve in St. Pete. And we will be out there, um, you know, after the Shabbat service, we're going to head out there. Food is already ready to go and provided. And uh, the kayaks are already ready to go and provided. And we just go off on a little outing. And then uh, once uh, the sun goes down, I think we might even be having a little campfire, bonfire action or something like that. So just a good uh, bonding and uh, fellowship event for the men. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, Pastor Russell kind of organizing that. Uh, And then... I cannot even describe to you how much is going on at Bait to Heal. It seems like, you know, the floodgates have opened. Uh, COVID is not necessarily a thing of the past, but I think everybody feels a little freer to move about the cabin. And as such, uh, we have Aaron, I'm sorry, we have Nadi Ram. Actually, he's in Tampa today. He's already in uh, in town, and he will be speaking um, uh, tomorrow night instead of our normally scheduled women's meeting. He'll be here with us, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And so uh, I believe we'll be live streaming that. Um, and actually, by the time you get this, it might even be like the evening of um, to give you the notice for it. Also, uh, later this month of June, we're having uh, Aaron and his wife, Etty, and I think their family is coming, uh, the Lipkin family uh, of the Lipkin Tours to Israel. They're the tour company that we use for Israel, and Aaron is also involved in archaeology over there and uh, documenting a lot of the historical sites that you can find in the Bible, and then his tour company takes people there, and so he's just a fascinating individual. He's the son of Avi Lipkin. A lot of people if you've uh, been you know, paying attention to, say, like prophecy in the news and things like that over the years, you'll know Avi Lipkin. Well, Aaron is Avi Lipkin's son. And uh, both of them being 
great, awesome friends of Bait to Gila. Uh, on top of that, uh, in August, we just found out that Jeremy Gimpel will be coming. Uh, and so stay tuned for details on that. And then Tommy Waller, he might even be coming this month. It, it depends. There's uh, some some things in the works. But uh, Tommy Waller from High of L, you guys have seen me interview him on a podcast before. I'm super, super excited uh, to see him again and to get to spend some time with him. So um, boy, that's a lot of announcements, I know. Um, and so let's go ahead and jump into our Torah portion for the day. Uh, the Torah portion this week is Korach, um, or Korah, which is the name of the individual who ends up uh, starting a rebellion. I think the Torah portion should be called Sinkhole, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, the Torah portion is found in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 16 and verse 1, and ending in chapter 18 and verse 32. So we're going to kick this off. Uh, I want to go ahead and I'm going to read some verses starting in chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. So if you guys want to turn to me, we're in the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 16 and verse 1. It says here, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spoke unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you or show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he hath chosen will be uh, will he cause to come near unto him. This do take you censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them. Before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel hath separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord? And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Wow. So uh, interesting turn of events here. Uh, now, what, a couple things, if you guys remember in the last couple of Torah portions, things that have been going on, the children of Israel find out that, hey, you know what? You guys messed up. The spies went into the land. Uh, they came back. They gave an evil report. The people believed it. They fainted in their hearts because they were grasshoppers in the side of the giants. But now they've decided that they don't want to go into the land. Well, God says, fine, you're not going to go into the land. Your generation is going to die off, and then your children, they will go into the land. Well, they didn't like that news. So, just like anybody that's, you know, kind of double-minded, they went and decided to try to go anyways. And God had already taken his presence away from them, and they got decimated. So they went out to battle without the ark, without Aaron, without Moses, without the blessing of God, trying to do things on their own. I think there might be a lesson there. 
and they got decimated. So what happens next? Well, they're starting to stew in the camp, right? So they had uh, obviously a bad time trying to go out to battle on their own, and now some of them have obviously started to talk and to murmur against Moses, Korah being their leader. And so here's a couple questions from our outline. What tribe was Korah from? Now, the answer is Levi, but there's a couple more details to this. Uh, anybody from the tribe of Levi is going to be technically a cousin of Moses. But when a family gets so big that, you know, we're talking of the men, I think in the when we counted it in the census, it was like, what, 22,000 uh, men? Uh, so when you have that many people, uh, you know, they kind of seem like regular people, not necessarily, quote-unquote, family, so to speak. And so uh, what we find out, though, is that Moses is a son of Kohath, and so is, or in, the, in a descendant of Kohath, but so is Korah. So they're cousins. Kohath um, had uh, a few sons, Moses being the descendant of one of them, and Korah being the descendant of a different one. So they're both grandsons of Korah. Another thing is that when we read here in verse 1, it says, uh, Korah, the son of Isar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. So you go from Levi, Levi being one of the individuals that actually went into Egypt, uh, and then from Levi, you then have uh, Kohath, and then from Kohath, you have Isar, and then you have Korah. So that's four generations. And if you read back in Genesis and the promises to Abraham, you'll notice something interesting, that God says that for four generations that they would be uh, in the land of Egypt and that they would be strangers in a, in a land that was not their own. And so just, you know, like I said, another little interesting tidbit there. Um, then we come and we ask the question, what tribe was Dathan and Abiram from who sided with Korah against Moses? And uh, the answer to this question is Reuben. And so uh, you can't help but think, right, that uh, they became cohorts because when you look at the tabernacle and the way everything was set up in the camp, you have the tabernacle in the middle, and then in the south you have Kohath, and then down there, uh, out, you know, just further away, you have the three tribes, I think it's Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Um, that are in the south along with Kohath. And so uh, Kohath, the Kohathites and the Reubenites are there, and just by proximity, they would have been interacting with each other you know, more often than, say, the ones on the north or the west or, or anything like that. And, you know, so they, they started to kind of grumble and talk, you know, hey, Moses has, you know, kind of put himself above everybody, and, and so has... Uh, so has, uh, you know, Aaron, and, and what is this all about? Why is their family, they're, they're a step above us. Now, when you look at, uh, I say hierarchy, right, but it, you're not necessarily a hierarchy. Um, you have the children of Israel as a whole, or, well, let's just say we have the whole, the world, the nations, and then, you know, then you have the children of Israel. And so God separates the children of Israel out of the world to be holy unto him. So there's a, a holiness, a separation, um, because holy just means set apart. And then from there, you have the Levites that are set apart from the children of Israel, and that they are going to serve the rest of Israel by handling the tabernacle. And so you have them separated into groups for, you know, who moves the furniture, who sets up the tapestries, who handles the hardware, things like that. But then a subset of them is the sons of Aaron, and then also you have Moses as kind of like his own uh, separation there. And so there's there's levels of separation that are happening here. And so what's happening is the Levites, who are you know separated out 
even from the children of Israel, much less from the world, are seeking to gain more power, more influence, and things like that. And so they're speaking out against Moses, saying that he has taken on too much onto himself because all the rest of them are holy and all of them can you know, do what Moses does. And so how many of them were there? There were princes who were famous and renowned in the assembly, and they came forward with Korah to contest Moses' leadership, and there was 250 of them, 250 of them. So that's, that's a lot of people. And you know what? Moses, um, you know, he obviously didn't like what they were saying. I don't think anybody would, but he did something I think that's a little bit different. So we'll get to that here in just a second. So here's our question, and this is kind of our food for thought. What was the real reason for this group of people to come against Moses and Aaron? And so, you know, as part of my discussions last night, um, you know, I was in uh, Mike Cromwell's group, and let me just tell you, He's a, uh, if you want to take notes on something, you know, like get the little extra tidbits. Uh, if you would come on Monday nights, Mike's group is an awesome group to join. If you can't, you know, um, you know, I think that he's a, a good resource. And you, if you guys ever have questions for me, uh, sometimes I even go to Mike and ask him the questions before I give you an answer just to kind of make sure you know, that I have a second witness on what I'm saying. But um, speaking of which, if you guys want to email me, my email address is Ryan. R-Y-A-N at twopraise.net. Ryan at twopraise.net. Shoot me an email. I'll get back to you as quickly as I can. I try to get back to everybody. Um, and so we, we talked about a couple things. Um, we said that jealousy. Maybe they were jealous. They wanted uh, the what they considered to be prestige um, into being Moses or Aaron's position. Or they wanted the influence over the congregation that they had. They wanted the power, um, things like that. Uh, you know, because power and position, people people get funny about that. You I mean you just watch modern day politics, and you can see that you know people act funny about you know gaining power and position. Um, but uh, you know, we had an answer last night, and it was that they had a different vision for Moses. Um, you know, when they were talking uh, against Moses, they were telling him. You know, the, they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. And so why do you lift yourselves up? And so they're trying to make this statement that everyone is equal. It's a, a populist message. And so you'll hear this a lot, like today in modern day movements and politics that, uh, you know, uh striving for, say, equity or equality, um, but not truly searching for those things. They're searching for something else, right? You hear that in uh, communist and socialist movements um, where they're trying to, hey, we'll give the power back to the people. Unfortunately, the power never ends up going back to the people. It's just kind of a a reality of how those things work. Um, You know, at least not on the larger scale. I think once you involve more people, then ultimately somebody's going to jump in and take advantage. So um, I think that the bottom line was that uh, they had a different vision. They thought of a more democratic model, whereas God had appointed Moses and Aaron to be the leaders of the congregation, and then they had appointed leaders beneath them with a you know a set hierarchy: leaders of tens, leaders of fifties, leaders of hundreds, you know, leaders of thousands. And so them wanting to kind of separate themselves out and add themselves to what Moses and Aaron were doing, I think is based on a different vision. Whether it was based on jealousy or something like that, at the end of the day, it was a different vision from what God wanted because God's vision was that he had put Moses in charge. So 
I think uh, anytime you find yourself uh, in a different thought process than God, it's your thought process that needs to change, not God's thought process that needs to change. And while I think a lot of times that's a, a difficult reality to realize, um, it's it's an important one to consider. And so, I mean, even the Proverbs talk about how, you know, if, uh, you know, uh, you know, to, to a man, his ways seem right, right? But motives are weighed by the Lord. It says it actually several times in different, you know, variations, um, basically that same proverb, probably because it's an important one to understand that sometimes we do things and even us, we have to check our motives in our heart and figure out, you know, why, why am I doing this? What is the reason? Am I actually going to get what I am seeking out of this? Or am I just, you know, doing this from some, uh, emotional or, you know, maybe, uh, a familiar spirit pulling me in that direction or something like that. So, um, so what did Moses do when, uh, when the people came to him, when Korah and his group came to him, he fell on his face and he interceded for them. You know, Moses, you know, we, we make the joke sometimes at the end of Deuteronomy, how it talks about how Moses was the most humble man to ever live. Right. And, you know, we poke at that, but at the end of the day, when people come against me and get in my face like that, I don't, I don't know that my first reaction, I'm not saying that I can't, you know, through contemplation or, or prayer, come to the place where I intercede for people that are coming against me, you know, pray for your enemies type of thing. But it's probably not my first intention. You know, somebody comes at me, I'm like, you know, I want to get back at them, you know, that old, you know, when somebody strikes at you, strike back. And, and not, not even that we fall down on our faces and intercede, but maybe sometimes we start to feel bad about ourselves, or something like that. We allow whatever the words that they're saying to make us question ourselves. And so this intercession that Moses is doing, I was we were talking about it last night, and I was thinking about it. I just thought, man, you know, Moses had to be so sure of what God had told him. Because if I'm in that position, I would tend to doubt myself. Am I, am I doing the right thing? Is this what God has called me to do? Um, you know, to the point where if somebody were to come at me with that type of a argument, I don't know that my first reaction would be, oh God, you know, please spare them, help them see the light. <laughs> you know, it sounds very self-righteous. Um, but you know, it is, it is what it is. I, I think Moses n- was actually speaking to God face to face. And so the right reaction for him is, look, I already know, just stop right there. I already know what God's going to do. He's going to strike you dead if you don't, you know, back up from that and repent. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to intercede on your behalf. And I think that that's, like I said, that takes somebody that's very sure of, of God's motives and, and intentions to have that thought process that brings them to the point where they're interceding, right? It's one thing to see somebody that's not doing something to you in, you know, some sort of gross sin and pray for them and intercede on their behalf and, on behalf of that situation. But when the situation is coming at you and it's false accusations or per- persecution or something like that, that's what I mean. It's, that's when I probably think it's, it's tough to be like Moses when somebody's coming at you in your face and that you fall on your face in front of God to intercede for them. And so uh, Moses told Korah and his company that the Lord would show who are his by the next day. So you know Moses is, is setting up a, uh, a test, so to speak, test the spirits. And so Moses told Korah and his company to have in their hands the next day censers fire and incense. Censers being like uh, the type of bowl that they would use for the incense and then have the incense and have the fire ready to go. Um, and obviously this, 
you know, they're wanting to be priests, right? And so one of the duties of the priests is to service the altar of incense or the golden altar, which is inside the holy place before the veil, you know, right before the Ark of the Covenant. And if we read in Revelation, we know that the incense is, you know, the, the prayers of the saints going up before the throne, um, or at least mingled together with the prayers of the saints. Um, and so I believe he's telling them to bring this because they're thinking, okay, we're going to have like a priestly audition. Um, we're going to bring incense before the throne of God and then let God decide. And so I think that's why the, everybody showed up with it. Now, in between all this, uh, Moses called for Dathan and Abiram from the tribe of Reuben who had come with Korah, and I believe that he was trying to set a meeting with them to be able to reason with them in some form or fashion to say, hey, listen, don't join with Korah. Uh, unfortunately, though, they refused to meet with Moses. Um, it says here in, uh, in verse 12, it says, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Um, and it says, is, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? So even they started kind of giving it back and poking Moses in the eye. Um, they even go on to say this, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And so... I think we're getting some things twisted here. Um, you know, Dathan and Abiram, and I believe Korah, they're now all mad at Moses for them not being able to go into the promised land. And so this is, I think, what happens to a lot of us and a lot of people in general. You sin, you cause a problem, the consequences come upon you, and rather than take responsibility for it and own it, we try to blame others and point, you know, well, if this person wouldn't have done that or this, I would be able to do X, Y, Z. And so we're making kind of excuses instead of understanding, hey, if I would have gone and either A, you know, stood up and not believed the spies and helped turn, you know, the hearts of the people to God and to what God was saying, then, you know, maybe I would be counted with Joshua and Caleb rather than, you know, with the others. And so they're upset because of not going into the land and they're blaming Moses for it, which I think is where a lot of this stems. Now, at this point, when they refused to meet with him and then they started being accusatory toward him, this is when Moses gets angry. So Moses becomes angry uh, because they didn't want to meet. And, uh, and he, it says here, actually, says, Moses was very wroth and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they, and Aaron, tomorrow. So it's almost like they refused to come and meet with, with Moses. And then Moses is like, all right, you know what? You guys aren't going to be reasonable and allow us to you know, reconcile this in some form or fashion? Not a problem. And then he calls on God to not receive their offering and not um, receive them. And and then he even goes on to say, look, I haven't taken anything from them, meaning I don't owe them anything. It's not like, uh, you know, they were doing all this great stuff for me and now we're having this squabble. I haven't taken a thing from them. And so all, all very interesting, you know, and you got to remember that the Levites received the offering of the people. And so there was a, a portion that they received that maybe Moses could have taken a portion of. And, you know, Moses, I think, is saying here that he didn't take any of it. So...
Uh, moving right along. So did Moses and Aaron fall upon their faces when they were told to separate from the congregation because the Lord was going to consume them in a moment? Obviously, the answer is yes, but I want to read these verses to you because um, this is kind of an intense an intense moment, right? So they show up with their censors, um, and then we're going to start uh, at verse 19 in chapter 16. It says, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. So they've come now to the door of the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord has appeared. Now, if you remember, this also happened with uh, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses when Miriam and Aaron were doing kind of the same thing, rising up against Moses. Um, and it says here, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Wow. So God's warning that, hey, look, you know, it's like the lightning's going to strike. You know, you got to scoot your chair over. So God's warning them of what is coming onto them. And so uh, it says here, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And what does Moses and Aaron do? This is what it says in verse 22. And they fell upon their faces and said, oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel follow, uh, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. On every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents, and their wives and their sons and their little children. Um, so, wow! I mean, this is intense, right? So Moses fell on his face twice to intercede, not only uh, for his enemies, but for the rest of the children of Israel. Can we practice that today? Now, I think I kind of already addressed this a little bit, but I just um, I think that we can. I think through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has given us a spirit of humility, a spirit of love, a spirit of peace. And our flesh wants to defend itself. And I'm not saying that when your life is in danger, your family's life is in danger, not to defend yourself from physical harm. But I am saying that there are times where the Holy Spirit will allow you to see things play out and God's plan will play out before your eyes and you'll get to witness that God can handle things on your behalf and that he can go before you and he can fight for you. And the best thing that you can do, especially us being in a fallen world, being broken sinners ourselves, is show God our humility by interceding for others so that they might receive the same grace and mercy as us and that that grace and mercy might turn their heart to God. Um, I, I just, I think that that's probably the biggest gift that we can give anyone. And so um, the Lord wanted Moses and the whole congregation to separate themselves from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and, and basically, which we just read that, get away from them, separate yourself so that you can kind of not fall prey to what they're about to fall prey to. And it says, Moses foretold what would happen to the men who challenged his position before it happened. And so 
here in verse 30, it says, um, or 29 and 30, it says, If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses, and all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed in upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. Wow. So, I can... I can't even imagine witnessing this. Um, it says here in verse 32, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. So I believe that that's the 250 men ended up going down into the earth with him. And it says, After the men went down alive into the pit, the earth closed in upon them and they perished from among the congregation. And it says, when the earth closed back up, the children of Israel fled at the cry of them. And, uh, and at this point, you know, they're going to start um, having, you know, kind of issues. Oh, you know what? Actually, I'll tell you what. I think the 250 people were, were um, they were hit with the fire. It says, a fire from the Lord consumed the 250 men who had censers. So the men that had joined in with Korah. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram get sucked into the earth. And then the 250 men that were with them, with the censers that had come before the tabernacle, they were consumed with fire, like, I'm guessing, like Nadab and Abihu. And Eleazar, the son of the priest, was responsible for picking up the censers from the dead, and they took the censers and made them broad plates for covering the altar. And um, I believe that the censers, 250 of them, I believe this is broad plates to cover the brazen altar, and I believe these are brazen uh, censers. Now, this sounds far-fetched, right? I think that sometimes... Uh, we hear things um, like this in the Bible, or we read these things, and it kind of like Noah's Ark, right? A worldwide flood, but there was one boat, and two by two, the animals went on the boat, right? And and people poke fun and make fun of those of us that take the Bible literally and believe. And it's just interesting because, you know, I have here in my hand an article from 2013, and this article uh, is from a, a local uh, news organization here where I live in Brandon, Florida. And right here in a neighboring town of Sefner, so this is literally like, I want to say like seven miles north of where I'm sitting right now. Um, it says here, update, sinkhole swallows Sefner man sleeping in bed. And Sefner being the town that I was mentioning that's just north of here. And it says officials are on the scene and believe the man is dead. This is a story um, that uh, was updated in April of 2013. So check this out. I'm going to read this to you. It says, A local man is believed to be dead after being swallowed by a sinkhole Thursday night, February 28th. Uh, Jeffrey Bush, 36, was asleep in bed around 11 p.m. when the ground opened up beneath his home uh, at 240 Faithway Drive, Sefner, and swallowed him, said Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office spokesman Larry McKinnon. It's a movie scene behind there, said McKinnon. That's what it is. 
McKinnon said Bush's mother was asleep in another room when she heard a loud crunching sound. When she rushed to her son's room, she saw that the entire floor had caved in and her son was gone. Bush's younger brother, Jeremy, 34, said he could hear his brother screaming from inside the hole. He dove in, trying to find his brother as the hole continued caving in. That's a brave move. Deputy uh, Douglas Duvall arrived on the scene and was able to grab Jeremy Bush before he was engulfed as well. At a press conference, an emotional Jeremy Bush talked about his efforts to save his brother. We heard a loud crash. I ran in there. I heard somebody screaming, my brother screaming, and I ran in there and all I could see was this big hole. All I could see was the top of his bed. I didn't see anything else. So I jumped in the hole and tried digging him out and I couldn't get him out. All I could hear was him screaming, hollering for me. I couldn't do nothing. Jeremy Bush said he didn't think twice about risking his own life to help his brother. I didn't care. I just wanted my brother, he said. Officials are now searching the sinkhole for signs of life. The opening reportedly is 20 to 30 feet wide at the top with a 100-foot safety zone established. It says here, uh, neighboring homes have been evacuated, yada, yada, yada. And the sinkholes, the family says the home has never had an issue with sinkholes before. So the home's never had issues with sinkholes before, but yet it does at that point. And if you see a picture of the house, which there's a, a picture of the house right here, um, I don't know if you guys can see that in your in your view. The, the house is not caved in, right? Literally underneath this bedroom on a concrete pad, the floor just crashed open and his bed got swallowed up. The earth covered up over him. Boom. That's it. He's gone. Nobody could get to him. Um, that's a present day <laughs> happening of what's happening here, you know, in in the Bible. I mean, it's a Bible story in present day. Now, of course, I have no idea about uh, this man. I, I'm, you know, my intention is not to, um, you know, defame him or in any way, shape, or form. I don't necessarily think this was anything but a tragic, um, you know, happenstance. Uh, but it just lends me to bring credibility to what the Bible says that God has the ability to open up the earth and swallow some people up and close it back up again. Period. End of story. Uh, especially out, you know, in uh, in the wilderness where these guys were. And, you know, if we don't believe God has the power to do that, then do we really believe God has any power at all? You know, especially those that are speaking out against him and his anointed. So let's keep going. It says here, uh, what did all the congregation do the next day to Moses and Aaron? Now, this is where it really just makes you want to, like, scratch your head. So you know that these guys just got swallowed up by the earth for speaking out against Moses. Um And it says here, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. So they came and they murmured against Moses again, saying that he killed the people of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, if I'm looking at Moses, a man, and I know that God is the one who is powerful, and Moses is speaking on behalf of God— and the earth literally opens up and swallows people in it. I don't think I'm going to be coming against Moses, but you know what? I wasn't there. So I don't, and literally like, you know, and fire coming down and, and consuming uh, the men that ha- were cohorts with, uh, with Korah. So what did Moses and Aaron do when the Lord wanted to consume the congregation? 
Well, I'll uh, I'll give it to you. It says here in verse 45, it says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the people, from the Lord. The plague has begun. So they fell on their faces again, consistent with the character of Moses interceding on behalf of the people. And so uh, what two types of people did Aaron stand between? Oh, it says here in verse 48, it says uh, that he was making atonement for the people. It says, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now listen, the people are dying, right? He's running out with the incense to get in between the people that are dead, that have already been afflicted by the plague, and the people that are yet still alive. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of people. And so how many people died of the plague? 14,700 died of the plague. And then on top of that, you have Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the 250 people that were with them. Uh, I mean, think about this. Korah's rebellion resulted in the death of almost 15,000 people. Let me say that again. Korah and his rebellion against God resulted in the death of 15,000 people. Now, I have to say, that these are the types of lessons that I want to learn because I don't want to be put in a position of consequence and then blow it and other people pay the price for my poor decision-making. Um, I would say that if, if, if there is any correct attitude towards leadership, it is that, to be seeking God's will in a manner that... Is, has a sense of urgency and uh, a sense of humility so that the things that you do and say and the way you lead is not in a way that would uh, cause other people harm. Amen? We want to lead people in the way everlasting. So, um, wow. So, I mean, I just... Korah's rebellion uh, goes down in history as one of the prime examples of what not to do. But it's one of those ones that we can go back to. And because of the Torah portions, we read it every year and we try to take the, the little gems out of it and figure out, you know, what is it that they did wrong? And I think what happens to us is we allow in our hearts for doubt and uh, jealousy and covetousness to creep in. And it creeps in little by little. And, and sometimes there's a catalyst for it. Like in, in Korah's case, it was the fact that God had decided that they weren't going to go into the land, that they were going to perish in the wilderness and roam around for 40 years while they, you know, the, the next generation uh, was born and raised up in order to go into the, the promised land. Um, and I think that the problem is not the catalyst itself. The problem is that the hearts of the people that act in these manners are already ripe they're already set up and ready to take this action, just waiting for the catalyst. So just imagine it's like uh, a bundle of, of kindling wood and sticks with gasoline on it, and all it's waiting for is the spark, but yet we blame it on the spark. Uh, and we just have to remember that kindling wood and gasoline shouldn't be there in the first place if you didn't want there to be a fire. Amen? Um, and so we all have to to look into our hearts and to remember these things um, so that we, you know, we don't 
have the same thing happen to us. Now, real quick, um, I had a note here from last night because uh, Mike actually reminded me of this. In Exodus chapter 15, um, you know, after they come and they cross through um, the the Red Sea, Moses uh, has, it's the song of Moses that, that I'm reading from. In verses 11 and 12, it says this. It says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, and the earth swallowed them. So, you know, the same thing happened um, with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians uh, were chasing the people of Israel, and God swallowed them up in the in the, the Red Sea by stretching out his right hand. And then, again, the same thing happened here. And so, coming against God's anointed, uh, you know, not just a pastor, uh, not just a leader, but God's people as a whole is not a good idea. That's why you'll see, you know, governments throughout the world right now that have come against the church uh, are having all kinds of issues financially and otherwise with crime. I mean, um, they're just being, you know, overrun. And a lot of it, I believe, has to do with the way they treated the church, especially throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, we should be looking to the church as a source of help and a source of um, light not coming against it. Amen. So, all right, come on, let's move right along. I'm going to be now in uh, Numbers chapter 17. Uh, and this is uh, sections titled Aaron's Rod Buds, and it says, so just to set up this this little section without having to go through and, and read all the verses, uh, now God is setting up a test so that he can stop the complaining of all the people. And what he does is he says, okay, now everybody's going to take the staff of their family. And, and um, you know, here at Beit Tehila, we have the tribal sticks that you'll see a lot of the men will dance with up in the stage and you'll see him beating them down. But they all have the names of the tribe. You'll see in Ezekiel 37 about the two sticks, one for Ephraim, one for Judah, and that they did become one in God's hand <laughs> or in, in Ezekiel's hand by God. Um, and so he sets this up, this leadership test and says, hey, look, you're all going to have your stick, bring your sticks forth, and we're going to put them in front of the tabernacle and then we're going to see which one of these is going to blossom and bloom, which one is going to uh, produce buds. And so they bring them in, and uh, one for every tribe. And so I was tr- reading it last night, and I was trying to figure out uh, if it was uh, 12 total or if it was 12 plus Aaron's rod. It says, um, And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. I'm trying to find it. Um I'll come back to it. But uh, but it was 12 uh, with every man's name. So I have one for every tribe, you know, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and so on. And uh, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, if there's 12 total, then that means there's going to be a stick for Joseph instead of one for Ephraim and Manasseh, and then a stick for Levi. Whereas if you pull the one for Levi out, and then you take the one for Joseph out, and you put Ephraim and Manasseh in their places. Um, so I just... I was pondering that, and I didn't have a, a, a good answer for that. If anybody has any, any sources that know the answer to that, I would love to hear what it is. But it says here uh, in chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make a cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So, and I will make to cease from me, God speaking, 
the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So God is saying, all right, we've had this rebellion. They got swallowed up by the earth. There was a plague. Now I'm going to show the people a sign so that we can put this to bed. And it says, Moses laid all 12 rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it says that the next day, the rod of Aaron budded, bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. And the Lord told Moses to lay Aaron's rod before the testimony. So this is interesting. We were actually talking about this because um, you know, you've heard that the, the rod goes in the ark. Um, but we were wondering, like, did they cut the art that cut this or do they you know, lean it up against it because you know based on our calculations it probably wouldn't fit inside the ark but it says <coughs> excuse me it says to lay it up by uh the ark and so kind of our food for thought question um for this section is it says in jeremiah Jer- jeremiah jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15 and i will give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Why is it important to follow a pastor that is God-appointed and not self-appointed? Now listen, I truly believe that this is um, a relevant point for not just church leadership, but also for all leadership in general, that um, you know, being self-appointed, it's a tough road. Um, there's the, the need to establish credibility. There's the need to produce a following and things like that. And I'm not saying that it can't be done or that it hasn't been done, but when with God, leadership is bestowed, uh, it's given, it's, it's, it's a mantle that is placed upon people. Um, you know, people should be sent, you know, even Paul references that, you know, how will they go unless they've been sent? And so it's important to recognize that when you're joining a congregation and you're yoking yourself with other believers and with another and with a leader, letting them be your covering, it's important to to know that they were not just appointing themselves, but that that God had appointed them through some process. And so I think it's important because we want the will of God, not the will of man. And um, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about the church as a whole and how the church has gone, you know, in the wrong direction. I think a lot of that stems from the fact that people are no longer, you know, following God and following the Bible, but they're following man. And they're following the the ways and logic of man, which, you know, ultimately we know the heart of man is deceptively wicked. And that we need to test things by the scriptures and we need to be in the scripture in order to wash ourselves with the water of the word and renew our minds daily. Um, and if you're following someone that is is not doing that and that wasn't sent properly, um, I think it, it lends itself to issues, especially down the road. Maybe you don't see the issues right there on the surface. And so um, what two things were Aaron and his sons to bear in chapter 18? So we're moving, we're moving right along to chapter 18. One last thing I want to mention before we move on to 18, actually. Aaron was anointed as the high priest, and Aaron could enter the presence of God in the Holy of Holies once a year on Yom Kippur. But Moses spoke face-to-face with God on a regular basis. And, um, you know, Moses prophesies later on uh, about, you know, one from among your brethren that will be a prophet like unto me. And, you know, we know that this is a reference to Messiah. We know that this is a reference to Yeshua himself because he is God. He's sent by God, you know. And so with all of that in mind, um, you know, I thought it was just really amazing that, you know, we could take the words of Moses because Moses is literally transcribing the Torah 
from God because he got to spend time in the presence of God on a regular basis. And so we have the Holy Spirit here with us today. We have the Comforter, and we should be spending time with God on a regular basis, just like Moses. And I'm not saying that any of you listening or me or any of us is Messiah. What I'm saying is that the more we spend time with Yeshua, the more we spend time with the Holy Spirit, the more we spend time with God, the more we will become the person that God has called us to be, that will know his will for our lives, and so on and so forth. So, um, All right, chapter 18 uh, is talking about the remuneration uh, <laughs> of the priesthood. And so the iniquity in the sanctuary of the priesthood were to be born or bared by Aaron and his sons. Now it says the iniquity, and there's some things we can go into about iniquity, but it's it's ultimately the, um, you know, it's it's the imperfection, right? They're doing the service. It's a mirror or a a reflection, right, of what's in heaven. The service they're doing to the tabernacle is a reflection of the service that happens in the heavenly realm, and they're not doing it perfectly as much as nobody can do anything perfectly because we're still human and we're in a fallen world. And so they had to atone for that iniquity. Uh, and for um, and so the sanctuary had iniquity because of that, and so did the priesthood themselves. And so uh, what was the Levites' main responsibility in chapter 18 and verse 6? It says, And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here's the distinction. You have the Levites, and then you have the priests, who are also Levites, but they're a subset, right? An elite force, so to speak. The priests were to minister to the people. The Levites ministered to the tabernacle. So they handled the furniture, the, you know, um, call it the, the maintenance of the tabernacle itself was the job of the Levites. Ministering to the people um, was, I think, the job of the priesthood. And there may be some overlap there on some specific instances, but I think overall that's the main the main point. And so the following offerings were most holy for the priests and their sons, oblations, meat offerings, sin offerings, and trespass offerings. And that's in chapter 18 and verse 9. And chapter 18 and verse 20 says this, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt take Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them, I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And, uh, and so what God did is he provided for them in chapter 18 and verse 21, the tithe. It says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So essentially what's happening here is that God is providing the Levites and the priests his portion. So all of us are doing our normal business. God gives us 100%, right? And he says, I want you to give back to me 10%. We give that back to the Lord. The Lord is then bestowing that upon the Levites. And so you're giving it a church. You're giving it a congregation somewhere locally. You think you're giving money to the people. What you're doing is you're giving resources to God. God is bestowing that upon them. And so maybe you don't see that in the natural, but that's literally how that works. We don't give to man. We are not keeping what already belongs to God and doing with it what he has commanded us or called us to do. Amen? So, um, and so that's it. I mean, that's that's Korah in a nutshell. 
Um, we got a lot of different, you know, uh, variations of the same answer last night as far as our, our two, uh, two things that we got out of it. I wish Pastor Nick was here so I could hear um, what he has to say. He always has awesome things that he comes up with. But it says, uh, here are two from last night were this. Number one was, murmuring brings curses on you and your house. I think that was Kathy Harwell. Um, you know, the complaining, complaining is a curse. Uh, you ever been around people that are just murmuring and complaining about everything all the time? Nothing's ever good enough. And then you start to see that their kids start to do the same thing. You have to watch what you say around your kids because you're passing the curse of murmuring down to the next generation. And it is a curse in and of itself. Even if God doesn't smite you with a plague or strike you with lightning, the murmuring itself is a curse. <laughs> um, and then the second one was, the only result of rebellion against God is utter destruction. So when we rebel against God, the ultimate result is utter destruction. Now we know what's going to happen in the last days. We know it's coming. Um, you know, I think that our job when we see the things that happen in the world, instead of rising up against an, an you know, indignation, is that we intercede on behalf of the people because I truly believe the time is short. I believe that um, you know, God is not going to continue. I was reading Habakkuk um, a while back, and it just impresses on me. You know, the, the prophet is asking God, you know, how long are you going to allow my eyes, the prophet is saying, to see this, you know, the sin of the people and, and this horrible things that are going on? How much longer am I going to have to do this? And, uh, you know, imagine how God feels. And if God is patient and has long-suffering, um, you know, then, then we can too, and we can intercede on behalf of others. And so, Praise God. Wow. So hopefully this little journey we've been through wasn't uh, wasn't too bad. You know, like I said, this is my first time doing this all by myself. Um, I appreciate you guys who have stuck with me this long, sticking with me. If you want to email me uh, and tell me, hey, Ryan, I made it to the end. I'd appreciate the encouragement. Say, you know, hey, I, I stuck with you till the end. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. Um, and also, please help us out. Like, subscribe, uh, do all those things. Ring the bell so that you can get notifications when we put in. Um, because I'm putting this on YouTube, Facebook, and on SoundCloud. SoundCloud goes out to Apple and all the other podcast platforms on its own. But YouTube is specific to YouTube, and and Facebook is specific to Facebook. But that's uh, that's where I'm putting this out every week right now. And so if you can go to those platforms, if you have them, and help us get the word out, um, like I said, subscribe, like it, share it, whatever you can do would be great. Um, I'm gonna pray us out, Father. Oh, thank you so much that uh, that you have given us the examples from the past, Lord, that we might today and in the future hold to your word as an example that we might not sin against you, Lord. Uh, thank you for your son, Yeshua, God. Thank you for Pastor Nick and for his family, God. And thank you that they're getting a way to spend time together as a family, not a, not anything to do with the church, God. We're so blessed to to have that for them, God. And so I just ask you to to speak to their hearts, Lord, while they're while they're you know resting, God, and give them a, a true you know uh, replenish replenishment and refilling, God, of your Holy Spirit, God. Thank you so much. And to everyone under the sound of my voice, God, I just pray that um, you would speak to their hearts, God. Show them your son in a real way and show them that your word is still relevant today from Genesis all the way to maps, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks so much for, for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great week.